So let's turn it to Matthew's Gospel. Nine of my thanks to tomorrow for reading us so well in this familiar story. May I begin by offering an observation? It seems to me that tax collectors and sinners enjoy hanging out with Jesus. It's easy to rush past verse 10 and get to the rest of the story. But it's worth sojourning here in verse 10 for a while and thinking about its implications. We read there that while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, listen, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. The tax collectors and the sinners genuinely, it seems, wanted to be with Jesus. There's no sense that Jesus was forcing them or bribing them they wanted to be near him. Arguably, this is a far cry from the church's position today. Much of what the church is known for today has sadly become negative and not positive. Now friends, it needs to be understood that Jesus' apparent popularity with these tax collectors and sinners wasn't because he was easy on sin. On the contrary, Jesus consistently <coughs> called people to repent, telling them to go and sin no more. Jesus never winked at sin, yet he still drew crowds. And amongst the crowds, many tax collectors and sinners. Those on the fringes of society, those that perhaps you and I would prefer to avoid, those with a shady past. Enjoy Jesus' company. What, dear friends, does this tell us? Well, I believe it tells us that true Christ-likeness is intrinsically attractive. Jesus spoke the truth without question, but he did so with genuine love and heartfelt compassion. People were attracted to Jesus' uncompromising, uncomplicated honesty. And honesty communicated without pretense or personal agenda, Jesus lived what he preached. And people were attracted to him. Jesus' life and ministry was in sharp contrast to the life and ministry of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, of course. The Pharisees were hypocrites. They were self-obsessed and self-indulgent. Their lives did nothing to demonstrate true mercy and true justice. They hid behind their legalism and they burdened the people with their many rules and regulations. Friends, there is a radiance to genuine love and compassion that attracts 
people. Especially those people on the fringes of society. There is a warmth to someone who genuinely expresses care and concern. A warmth that attracts people, especially those on the fringes of society. Tax collectors and sinners, they enjoy Jesus' company. Conversely, there is a deadness and a darkness an emptiness to hypocritical Phariseeism that makes you want to be no part of it whatsoever. So when it comes to this intrinsic attractiveness, there's a strong argument to be made that many Christians today have more in common with the Pharisees than with Jesus. Sam. I have three questions I want us to ask ourselves. I'm going to ask them of me and join in if you like, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you in that direction. Three questions. How many unsaved friends does Doug Atherton have? How many unsaved friends do I have? Christians often circle in wagons, so to speak, and only have church friends. And arguably, this problem gets worse the longer we're Christians. As we look at our lives right now, can we name perhaps just five unsaved friends that we have? Take a look for a moment at the statement of the Pharisees in verse 11, if we may, Tony, verse 11. They asked Jesus' disciples, uh, and they're rather bemused as they ask, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? These religious leaders of the day, these spiritual hierarchy, they appear dumbfounded. That a holy man would want to be near such tax collectors and sinners, let alone actually appear to enjoy their company. My friends, it's all too easy for our Christian mission to slide from holiness by transformation to holiness by separation. If we're going to win the loss for Jesus Christ, if Doug Atherton is to go, go have a, a positive impact upon the lives of modern day tax collectors and sinners, those on the fringes of society, then I have to be in touch with the loss. Rather than How many unsaved friends does Doug Atherton have? My second question, how many unsaved friends does Doug Atherton enjoy being 
around. Let's go a step beyond just having unsaved friends, acquaintances, if you like, and analyze just how many unsaved friends do I actually enjoy spending time with? Jesus obviously enjoyed being around these folk. And I say that because it's evident from their response to him. He genuinely loved them. He genuinely enjoyed their company. Now granted, the attitudes, the language, the, the behaviour of unsaved friends can offend us from time to time. However, how often do we become consumed by the sin when we should rather be concerned by the sinner? How often do we allow the offending problems to cloud the needs of valuable people? Souls who are going to hell. If we're not careful, a hesitant response or a reluctant handshake or a judgmental look can put people off our message, can put people off our Jesus indefinitely. We may be clear by our actions, by our attitudes, that actually we're kind of tolerating this relationship. We really don't want to be with them. And friends, people aren't stupid. They pick up on these things, don't they? The story is told of an occasion when the international Bible author and teacher Philip Yancey was talking to a prostitute in downtown Chicago. Toward the end of the conversation, he asked her, have you thought about going to church? She responded abruptly. Why should I go to church? She said. I feel bad enough about myself already. Ah. I would hesitate to guess and suggest that there will be many of like mindset. How many friends do you gather now who are non-Christians? How many friends who are non-Christians do I actually enjoy being with? And my third question is this. What in my life, what in my life, would my non-Christian friends, assuming I have them, want or desire. Naturally, it's our heart's desire to see all our non-Christian family and friends become Christian. As they look at our lives, as they invariably do, what is it about our lives that attracts them to our Saviour? What is it about Doug Alphonson that might attract my non-Christian friends to Jesus? Are they attracted by my mercy, my kindness, and my compassion? 
Are they attracted by light? Sure. <laughs> Are they attracted by my peace? Are they attracted by my contentment? I could go on, but it's beginning to hurt somewhat, isn't it? Or do they find that our lives are somewhat indistinguishable from their own? Or worse, that our lives are less complete, it seems, less fulfilled than their own. There are those who profess Christ, but their lives remain fundamentally unchanged from before. They profess Christ, but there's little or no evidence of the grace of God in their lives. Hardly, friends, appealing to non-Christian folk, wouldn't you agree? Why would they want to become Christians like us? If we're the same as we were before. There are those who profess Christ, but their lives manifest a kind of shallow religion, full of rules and regulations, full of do's and don'ts. They become kind of holier than thou, and a judgmental spirit begins to reside within. Hardly attractive to the world outside, wouldn't you agree? Jesus said, I have come to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. We shouldn't be surprised, therefore, that he spent so much time in the company of sinners. Jesus' character, his, his disposition, his manner, his conversation that attracted people to him. Now of course when he walked the earth Jesus spent quality time with tax collectors and sinners in person but he's now since ascended and now seated at the right hand of the Father on high but I put it to you, it's still within his heart to spend time with tax collectors and sinners not in person of course but by proxy through his church how wonderful it will be in 21st century Wales if tax collectors and sinners those on the fringes of society those with a shady past how wonderful it would be if they enjoyed spending time with the church folk as much as they did with Jesus 2,000 years ago to his own to you and I Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Boy, I don't know about you, but that challenges me to the depths of my being. Because I find myself asking pertinent questions. Am I? 
am I? Am I the salt of the earth? Am I really the light of the world? Well, I ought to be, of course, because I'm a child of God. And that was Christ's expectation of me by the indwelling Holy Spirit. But am I? Christians, we are the feet of Jesus to the spiritually lost and dying. Are people in track and in Pontypridd, are they attracted to my Saviour because of me? Verse 10, it's so searching, isn't it? Jesus was having dinner with Matthew who found grace, didn't he? In spite of his shaky past, Jesus sought him out. And the one who needed forgiveness found forgiveness. Hallelujah. As Jesus sought him out and extended grace and came to his house to feast with him in celebration, I'm sure. Now, you will think on such a, a joyful occasion, the religious leaders would long to enter in, wouldn't you? Surely they would. But no. No. We don't read of the Pharisees enjoying the festivities here. We read of the Pharisees looking on from the sidelines, criticizing. Oh, well, that resonates, doesn't it? The Pharisees on the sidelines criticizing. Oh, my friends, allow me to confess there have been times in my Christian walk where I've been like the Pharisee. On the fringes, on the sidelines, looking in, criticizing. Oh, that's not the way God blesses, I used to say to myself. Oh, that does not seem to be a, an appropriate manifestation of the Spirit of God, I would say. And, and one day, one of my mentors, I, know, I had three mentors, one has gone to glory since. Difficult him to mentor me from glory. But I have two other mentors. One of my mentors, Norman Wade, he drew me aside, sensing my critical spirit, and he says, my brother, I have one thing to say to you this morning. I said, oh, no, what's that? He says, don't criticize what God is blessing. Just because it might not be what I prefer, just because it might not be my expectation, just because it might not be on my agenda, doesn't make it wrong. The Pharisees, well, it certainly wasn't on their agenda, was it? It certainly wasn't what a holy man should engage in, but they stood on the sidelines criticizing. Oh, my friends, let's not criticize what God is blessing. And the tax collectors and the sinners, the shady characters, those who perhaps you and I would, would rather cross the street to avoid rather than have conversation with those types, you know. And don't tell me you don't do it from time to time. Or maybe you're more spiritual than I. These folk, they entered into the, into the festivities. 
They had a great time in, in the house of Matthew with Jesus. They enjoyed being with Jesus. Did he condone the sin? Not at all. Did he pat them on the back for being sinners? Not at all. But something about Jesus' intrinsic loveliness attracted them to him. Now friends, if Christ is in you and me by the indwelling Holy Spirit, then surely something about Jesus' intrinsic loveliness to attract them to my Jesus. Should be. And how sad it is that more often than not one question people out there in the streets find the church experience of birthday. They feel judged. They hear criticism. They don't conform to what we would expect of any church going to do. And they don't come in. Oh, well, I will do. They feel bad enough about themselves as, they, as it is. Why don't the church will feel worse? How oh, these people need forgiveness. My goodness, they do. That's not just Matthew. The wonder of the gospel is that Jesus looks upon them with love and compassion, having outstretched his arms and yielded to a Roman general to die for them. Open my community church, may I ask, are sinners attracted to Jesus because of you and I? Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. Are you? You are the light of the world. Really? We're going to pray and just respond to God's word to our hearts. But maybe we'd bring Jennifer ask the folk to gather the stuff and the show us in the morning. We'll pray for two or three minutes while we're doing that. Let's respond in our hearts to the word of God, my dear friend. Almighty God, and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for these special scriptures. And we were not surprised when we read of Jesus thus. We're not surprised that, that people love to be with him. Particularly those on the fringes. Oh Father, search our hearts. We know, Lord Jesus Christ, that you still long to, to engage with tax collectors and sinners, so to speak. Those outside of your kingdom. But in this dispensation of your Holy Spirit, you are choosing to do that by proxy through us, your church. Oh, Father, search our hearts. Are people attracted to my Jesus? 
Because of the way I live, the way I speak, my attitudes, my mannerisms, my dispensations. I live. Work by your Holy Spirit in and through our hearts and lives in these days, and in such a way that we might be so transformed that people will inexplicably perhaps but intrinsically be attracted to the Christ we profess and in Christ's name yes. Amen. Amen. Amen.